go. Welcome back to Infernal Contraptions, Episode 3, Part 1. The reason for separating this into two parts is because A, I love the chat, but B, this is evolving to more of an in-conversation kind of thing. I guess what I'm attempting to do with this series is to really capture some of the fantastic characters I've met through motorcycling. People brought together through a mutual love of these two-wheel contraptions. But it's really more than that. As we spend part-time together, I become ever more aware that they are always there to help whether practically or by imparting knowledge and experience. It's a wonderful and amazing journey, which is why I want these podcasts to be lightly edited, so that we get to hear the real person. Next up, I'm delighted to introduce Martin LePage, a lover of all things Suzuki, especially two-strokes. As is often the way, we continued our chat long after the allotted time, so in part two, we'll also discuss the joys of motorcycling en français, which is again another addiction of Martin. I hope you enjoy it, and see you again in part two. So good evening and welcome um, to a rainy evening at the Oily Rag. It's the first evening um, session that we've, we've done here for the podcast. Um, and I'm here with uh, Martin LePage. I'm delighted to have Martin LePage with me tonight. Um, and uh, just a bit of background. Uh, Martin and I kind of met um, at the Oily Rag. Um, it started off really just conversations about random motorcycles like it always does but also Martin was having his seat covered for his one of his Suzuki's one of his beautiful Suzuki's and uh, and he suggested that maybe if I wanted to sort out my BMW I might want to um, uh, approach the same guy so we end up sending our seat our rough old seats uh, away to Leighton's in the UK together and then um, as I've been working on my BMW, stripping it all down and rebuilding it. Martin has been on the next ramp to me with a beautiful, I'm going to say beautiful quite a lot when I refer to some of his bikes, <laughs> but um, a very beautiful um, Suzuki GT750, a, a kettle as, as people know them, uh, which is one of his many um, um, Suzuki two-strokes. And that's uh, really the topic of the conversation tonight because I wanted to talk so much about Martin and how he got into it. <laughs> and I think we're going we're gonna to touch on... Uh, his love of France as well. So, without further ado, Martin, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, as you said, I'm, I'm Martin, Martin LePage. Um, I've known Phil for many, many years, and uh, hence the reason why I'm involved with the Oily Rag. Uh, we've been on some motorcycling trips to France, and he used to be one of my customers in my previous life as a um, working in a garage, local garage over here. And just to touch on that a little bit, because you, I mean, I guess it's fair to say that you worked, well, what was your role at, I'm going to say Jackson's Garage, it's not an advert, but it's Jackson's yeah, Garage, which, yeah. is, which is one yeah. of the biggest garages. The, the, or, yeah. the best over here, yeah. or in the Channel Islands. Yeah, I mean, I, I started off, I'm, I'm a qualified uh, motor vehicle technician, so I did all my trade through, uh, through the schools here. Um, and then when I'd been on the spanners for probably 10, 10 15 years, um, I was inquisitive and wanted to move on and become more, more commercially aware of what goes on in the, in the running of a garage. And I 
progressed through Jackson's. They were very good to me and allowed me to um, do all my studying and get to where I needed to be. Which was where? Where did you get to? Well, I got to uh, the group after sales manager for a while, which was running both Jersey and Guernsey at the same time. So that was quite a, a challenge. That was when you could actually fly to Jersey, yeah. like on a bus. So it was every half hour, it seemed to be. So I'd do like uh, two, three hours in Guernsey and then get on the plane to Jersey. I'm going to say, what we should do is pause here. For those people, <laughs> if, if anybody from overseas is listening to this, because I, I think I was, um, I've experienced, I'm going to say Orini, yes. uh, which is our local airline. Um, and anybody that uh, has regularly travelled between the islands have, has this fond memory of um, bygone days when I guess... Um, oh, I don't know how you describe it, but certainly the structure was less formal than than it is now. Yeah. And um, and so you know we all used to if we were working in Jersey and Guernsey around the Channel Islands, we all used to uh, just know the guys at the Orney desk at the mm-hmm. little airport before they rebuilt it. And then invariably we'd be going up the hill in Jersey, we'd phone and going, "I'm a bit late, can you just hold the hold the flight?" Does it sound yes, familiar? Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, and they would hold, and they'd be about five minutes late because they knew that some of us were piling in up the hill from Jersey from St Helia, um, in Jersey to to get to that flight, and then we just all pile in and, and fly back to Guernsey. Yeah. And to give people overseas an idea of what that means is the flight is rarely 15 minutes 15 minutes a long yeah, way if, around yeah, if yeah. anything yeah so so it's a very it's a it is like a taxi service really yeah uh, with a lot of locals uh, often traveling between the two islands and uh, i think all of us that experience those those days look back on them very fondly yes so it's, yes uh, you're guaranteed a window seat in those days because <laughs> <laughs> we were working we were flying on trilanders and uh, and these things were held together with bits of silicon and and um, and they used to assess um, where to sit on the plane based on your height and weight uh, and and sex and sex as well. So 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 we'd be on the uh, on on the apron and the and the guy that was looking after the um, the loading of the plane would go, okay, you can sit in the middle, you can sit at the end, you can sit at the front, yeah. um, all based on you know very dodgy criteria to be honest. But uh, but those days are long gone, unfortunately. But it was very good fun. Sorry, I interrupted. Anyway, yes. so yes. yeah, back to traveling yeah, so to the I, islands. Um, I, I I did that for a while and. Then I finished my career with Jackson's, running their parts department and, um, in Guernsey. Got an enormous amount of pleasure out of doing all my time up there. So I think I did 30, 35 years in total, which is unheard of. Yeah, in, and you've still got days. a very strong relationship with Jackson's Garage, haven't oh, you? Of when course, still, yes. Yeah, yeah. In touch with all the guys and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I keep saying, and I know my, my, uh, my partner, Jilly, gets up annoyed because I keep saying I've retired <laughs> but that's the way I've actually approached it that uh, although I've still got another job um, working for CDS over here um, it is the sort of stepping stone to retirement in that I've taken a back step in terms of the, the stresses and, and whatever that's involved in running a big um, operation like that and uh, doing less hours so yeah it's it's great. One thing I should add, because I've, I've started to get to know Martin a little bit um, over the last few months, but there's certain things that you notice about Martin. Uh, one was when we were packaging our seats to be sent away to the UK. <laughs> Martin is very organised. I mean, I thought yeah. I was a bit OCD, but Martin is very organised. He, he absolutely 
yeah, um, put me to shame when I, I thought, oh, well, we're going to need to do this bit and this bit and this bit. And he had everything ready when I got here. It was an absolute joy to send the seats across because he was just uh, he was there and ready. And I think that that organisation skills of yours is you've actually used that quite a lot for trips yes. and things, haven't you? Yes, I mean we'll come on to that later yeah. when we talk about France. But I got so much pleasure out of organising um, bike trips to France for groups of friends, um, which we did for over 10 years. Well, we'll come back to that. Yes, so let's, so let's, yeah. let's, we'll do maybe, let's start with Suzuki two-stroke motorcycles, Martin. Where, where did it all begin? Where did it all begin? Yes, I knew Tell that me. question was coming. Um, like all good parents, and my parents were the best. I have the best parents. My two brothers will testify that. Um, they looked looked after us and said, well, we don't want you to have motorcycles, they're dangerous. When I was growing up in the 70s, um, as a teenager, I wanted a motorbike, like all my mates were getting motorbikes, and you're not having a motorbike. Because my, my father had a, a Triumph Tigris, which okay. is like a, a scooter version. I think it was a, was it a 250 or a 200 or 150, something like that. This was their kind of answer to... Vespers and Lambrettas, wasn't That's it? That's really? right, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a scooter with yeah. a Triumph badge on it. And um, they did have a spill on it when they were when they were courting, as they did in those days. <laughs> uh, and he fell off on a corner. Um, but knowing my dad, he's probably a bit uh, too cautious. And also, scooters don't go around corners very well. No, no tiny little wheels. Yeah. Not going not to be helpful. So they were a bit hesitant about us having bikes. Um, but then when I left school at 16, I stayed on, because over here, I think Phil alluded to earlier, you know, with the 14-year-old uh, yeah. motorcycle licence, you could also leave school at 15 in those days. But I stayed on till 16 and didn't know what I wanted to do. And then a guy, uh, I think my father was, was friends with some people that ran Forest Road Garage over here which was the Fiat agency which was up and coming in the 70s um, and Alfa Romeo and Ferrari so I went and had a chat with them and they said well, you can come up and have a, have a job up here so I got an apprenticeship at that uh, car dealership um, but I needed transport because it's the other end of the island so dad, mum and dad relented and said well you can have a bike uh, and I think all three of us demonstrated that we were pretty sensible. We were brought up really well. So I was the first one to have a bike, and I had a Suzuki TS100. Because I was going to say, it was either going to be a GP100, a TS100, or an A100, yeah, right? No, it was 19, always going to be one of those three. 1975 TS100. Okay, so a, a, a trail bike. bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only bike in my, that I've, I've had that I still don't that I don't have don't now. anymore. Okay, yeah, I did sell it, which I regret. Do you know where it is? No, no, I don't know where it is. And was it a blue one or a red one? Oh, it had to be blue with a black okay. engine. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I had that TS hundred, and I absolutely loved it. We used to go. A group of us used to go around together, um, and my best friend over here, Paul Van der Tang, we. Um, that was my first experience of motorcycling, was on a Rally Wisp, which was belonged to Paul's family. And they had a big 
patch of land out at Ladeek because they were uh, into growing. And uh, that was my first experience on a rally wisp at about 12 or 13 years old, I think. I used to hoon up and down the back backyard on this thing, which was brilliant. Did you have makeshift ramps and everything? I don't recall that. I, I can recall screaming along, which is actually common land. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a drive down to a car park. But uh, no, we had, we had some good funds on that. Good fun. Um, so yeah, the TS-100, I kept it until I had a car. And then once I really got into the motor trade, um, cars were my passion. Yeah. Especially minis. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I had a fair few minis. And are you talking, when you say minis, like Cooper, Nettes and stuff like that? Well, I had Mini 850 to start with, um, which I did up. I bought I bought the car from somebody that uh, was starting to do it up. I had little wheel arches on it and all sorts. So I finished it off. And then I really wanted a Cooper S like anybody. Yeah. If you had a Mini, yeah. you had to have a Cooper S. Uh, but I certainly couldn't afford one. And they were a bit rare even in those days. <laughs> Um, so I managed to find a body shell that someone was doing up uh, and he painted it this metallic green and gold roof and I bought the body shell and a whole host of engines and bits and pieces from this chap and took it all home to, to mum and dad's house and we, we were lucky because my, my dad was a, an agricultural contractor so we had a okay. fleet of tractors and all sorts of machinery and it all came with loads of sheds where we lived. Oh brilliant, okay. So towards the end we all had a shed each, much to Dad's disgust because he didn't really want that but we did look after him and um, yeah so I took this this mini back there and did it up. Was that the first thing you'd ever kind of did up or restored then? Was that your first baptism of fire as it were? Um, Yes I suppose it was. Because obviously, you know, push bikes, we've all done push bikes, but motor, motor vehicle wise, I didn't start on bikes, it was, it was in the cars. Okay. Um, so yeah, I did a car, did that Cooper S, um, did a lot of work on the engine, it wasn't just a normal Cooper S. <laughs> obviously not. It, it uh, had racing cam and side drive Weber on it, all sorts. But then um, once I sort of got fed up with cars, and then noticed the other the other side of life, which was females. <laughs> the uh, the sensible car had to come along, so I bought a Ford Fiesta after that. But when I first started at um, at Forest Road Garage, there was a chap there, Tim, who I was at school with, and he worked in the other side of the business, in the parts side, and he had a GT two fifty. And so it begins. An old, an old That's skanky yeah. GT250, okay. which, as I said before, my, my best friend Paul, he had a GT250A, a blue one, which I absolutely loved. It was either a toss-up between that and a KH250, which was the, the in thing to have in those and days. And do you think you could have gone either way? You could have gone Kawasaki or Suzuki at that point? No. Okay. Oh, okay. No. So, so why it, you know did what? it have to be Suzuki? It is strange, because when, you, when you're growing up, you seem to, it's like a football team almost. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've always been Suzuki since I had the TS hundred. I remember Dad taking me to uh, the motorcycle centre in Vovet. Um, Mike, um, Ozan and Pancho okay, were yeah, running it yeah. at that time. At that time, 
and I can remember all the bikes lined up and it was a second hand one that's all that dad could afford to help me with at the time and I think it was only about 18 months old didn't have many miles on it but uh, I remember seeing all the brand new Kawasaki's in there which I did like and there was another friend of mine at school called Nigel who had a, a blue KH250 which absolutely gorgeous if I, if I was going to have a Kawasaki I'd probably have one of those or and a, and a H1 Obviously, yeah. Everyone has to have a H1. So, yeah, going back to, uh, to Tim at uh, Forest Road, he, he had this GT250 and then he sold it and bought this absolutely immaculate GT380, which was probably only six months old at the time. And, and just to clarify, because, I mean, I'm, I don't know the GT250. Are they all triples then? No, the 250 is a twin? Yeah. The, okay. You had a 125... 185 and a 250 they were all twins twins and then yeah and then um, on the GT range that is and then the 380 the 550 and the 750 were all triples right so yeah Tim bought this 380 and I I looked at it I thought you know what? I love that and then eventually he got fed up with it only months after having it and he got fed up with it and he said do you want to buy it or, or something happened anyway and I said well I'll have it so I bought it Back in 1978, I think it was. And I still have it. Excellent. And it's still my favourite. Yeah. Until I ride another one. Yeah, (laughs) just for the the sake of this uh, this audio history here, uh, that was his favourite. I know he rode his 550 the other day and told me that was his new favourite. So, yeah, the jury's out. Yeah. I mean, I think Phil alluded to it in the last podcast that Guernsey is 25 square miles it's 35 mile an hour if you're being very very (laughs) not naughty and with all the traffic these days you need something small and it's best to make something small work harder than something big to get all choked up Um, and the GT750 which is the flagship of of the Suzuki Two Strokes is a lovely, lovely bike, beautifully engineered, and in France you wouldn't want to ride anything else. But over here, the poor thing is just just boiled. It just wants yeah. it wants to open its yeah and and get going because it, the first gear is quite long, and then there's a massive gap between that and second gear, so it's not quite wanting to be in 35 in first. But equally, second is like it needs to be doing at least forty or forty-five. Yeah. So it can be a bit, um, a bit of an uncomfortable ride. But you, if you if you love Suzuki's like I do, you put up with it. It's interesting how I mean because there is a, um, an appetite for larger bikes over here. I mean, plenty yeah. of us have, have bigger bikes. Yeah. But I think, you know, you have to take them away to really stretch their legs. Otherwise, they, cause they don't like Guernsey very much. And I think, no. like I said in the last podcast, you know, I've got a little 300cc bike, which I use probably more than anything, actually. Yeah. And uh, just because you use all the gears, you enjoy it, um, you know, for, for its own sake. And you don't kind of, like the Ducati, you just boil the clutch and all that sort right. of stuff. It's just not very happy. Yeah. Um, just, I was just talking about the, the, the 750, the kettle. Um, because we're on, we're on two ramps, you know, I'm staring at this bike. So Martin, um, over the last month, I guess, has been rebuilding the carburetors on, 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 the, on the 750 and uh, doing a very fine job of that as well. But, uh, but I keep looking at this bike thinking that's a very lovely bike. And it is pristine, isn't it? I mean, all your bikes are pristine. 
Well, they get used. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're not they're not show pieces, and I, I know Phil. He's he's the other end of the spectrum, or rather, <laughs> I'm. You know, we're at complete ends of the spectrum. He likes his his patina, uh, and I have I have um, respect for patina, but equally, um, you you see my BMW, my BMW 1100s. Yeah. yeah. I've had that from new. And it looks like it could go back in the showroom. Yeah, because you just look after your bikes. But right? I haven't restored it. Yeah, it's just been kept, and it goes out in the rain. You know, I'm not. Uh, well, some people will probably say I would, but I mean, I've been to France. All my bikes have been to France with me at the same time, and they've all got absolutely soaked, uh, riding on dirty roads, and I've had to wash them all when I get back. But because they have got a lot of polish on them, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. It's easy to clean. Absolutely. Easy to clean, and you can see when when issues occur, because you're cleaning it to to the nth degree, you do notice, oh, this this is wearing out, or there's a nut gone here or something, which a normal person wouldn't even notice. Because you really know your bikes, eh? You just know, the, the, yeah, you're actually yeah. the bikes you own. So did you, because um, we, we talked about so the, the GT series, the Suzuki's, the, the, the 125s, the 185s, the 250s, and yeah. then starting with the 380 triples. Did you own the smaller bikes, or did you start with the 380? The TS100 was the first oh, one. Oh, sorry, apart from yep. the TS100. So. And then that, that went to help fund the Cooper S. And oh, it went at the same time I bought the 380. I thought, what do I want two bikes for? I mean, you could have your time again. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, here I am. What do I got? Seven bikes now? We'll go through and the only reason we've got the only reason I've got seven is because I haven't got any room for any more. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about um, I don't know, I'm as guilty as you are about collecting bikes. I think there's always one around the corner you have your eye on. But so, so talk yeah. to me about the seven bikes you currently own and and some of the history behind those. Yeah, let's make sure I haven't lost count. But we've got the GT the GT two fifty is the smallest one I've got. Okay. And that uh, came how long have you had that one? I've had that uh, just over a year. Okay. But um, that was, again, my best friend, Paul. That was his bike. It wasn't the original one he had. It came originally, this one, from Germany. And he bought it, I think it was about 10 or 15 years ago, perhaps even longer. Um, and it was green, I think. But he, um, he wanted to paint it blue. And as it happens, he managed to find a brand new tank and side casings on eBay in blue, new old stock. Uh, and he did a few bits and pieces to it to get it to, to how it looked like when he had one. And uh, I used to rib him and his wife, Maria, that that's my bike, I want it. And she wouldn't let him sell it. And then eventually he's, um, he's consolidating his bike collection at the minute. Okay. And he bought, I think it was half a dozen bikes or four bikes up to CDS for storage. And this was one of them. And we put them up in the, in the storage pods. And he rang up the next couple of days later and he says, I'm going to sell a couple of bikes. You're going to be annoyed. Can you get them back down again? And I said, which ones are you selling? And he said, I'm going to sell the Kettle and the 250. Now, the Kettle was already earmarked for somebody to approach him and uh, I said well, can I have the 250 he said well sure you can have first refusal so there it went but unfortunately it's been in his garage for um, 
affair too many years and not been started, not had the tank um, fuel removed. Okay. Um, so when we, when we brought it back down here to the oily rag, Phil very kindly offered to clean the tank because it was quite rusty inside. And uh, he did worked his magic in the cement mixer with a load of <laughs> nuts and bolts and gravel and all sorts and, and then and the magic fluid and it looks like brand new inside again now. Um, so that, that took me about five, six weeks to recommission it, took all the carbs off and cleaned them and all the rest of it. And then I rode it and it was absolutely lovely. And so I was trying to ride it for a, a few months just to get into it before I went and did my usual on it and get it up to a really good condition. Uh, and then it, after about a week, it was starting to get some flat spots okay. to the point where it was, it was dangerous to ride. So if you had a yellow line yeah. and you went to pull away, give it a handful of revs and it just died. Then equally going up a hill, you're suddenly going down the gearbox trying to get some go. Uh, and what's happened is the, the old uh, crankshaft, if you don't keep the engine Spinning. turning yeah, over, yeah. Um, then the oil seals inside the crankshaft dry out. And they are an integral part, you know, the most important part of the combustion process because they, they create the seal and the crank, which allows the um, mixture to get up into the top. So yeah, as they dry out, you, you yeah. pull in extra air and it makes it run really lean, and that's what you're getting in these flat spots. So unfortunately, that's sitting at my house at the moment, waiting for a ramp here, um, because Phil and I have a cunning plan. Excellent. So, so could, could just, uh, just to touch on that a little bit, so uh, is that because it doesn't get to rev enough in Guernsey? Or is it another reason why those seals are worn out? What's the, the background? Or is it just because it's got old and it needs oh, the seal to it's, it's one of those things where if you're buying a, a bike and you, and you don't know its history, um, if you're buying a two-stroke, that's the most important thing is to see it, has it been run. Um, because it, if it's been left for too long, those seals will dry out. Yeah. And we're yeah. just going to pause the tape just for a second because we've no, got guests. Oh, no, okay, <laughs> we're not going to pause it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep this in and see how it goes. Um, yeah. uh, we've been joined by Phil. It's very and Phil's brought some guests along as well. And we're just oh, in the middle of recording. Oh. You, would you like to introduce yourselves, everybody? <laughs> 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 I have slept with your husband. Uh, <laughs> in Paris. <laughs> so, what, what I think I'm going to I'm going to pause this just for a second. But we'll be back after the advert, whatever that is. That's that's the first one in my stable. stable. Yeah. Okay. And then we've got uh, GT380. So that's that's been you've had that for a long time. Yes, yeah, so it's 78. Did you buy that new? No, it was um, second hand. Oh yeah, of course. Yes, yeah, sorry, apologies. This chap I used to work with. Uh, I've got next one would be the T five hundred Suzuki T. Is that the one that's here? Yes. Yes, which is a very interesting bike. Talk to me about that a bit. That's um, that came originally, I believe, from Jersey. Well, certainly that's where I first knew about it. Um, it was bought by one of my now colleagues at CDS, Dave, and 
it was used in Jersey as a hill climb bike, but for classics, classic hill climbs. So it's standard. So, so and what is the T500? What's T500M, which is a, a twin, yeah, a twin cylinder. Uh, this one's 1975, which was the last of the T models. Okay, the predecessor to the GT. And then it was a GT500 okay. after that, where they used uh, bits of the kettle, you know, the kettle tank and what have you, bike uh, cycle parts, um, and also a, a disc brake. Oh, okay. Whereas single disc, was it? Single disc, I believe, yes. And was it any better than the drum brake, or just for show? Um... It's a, it's a bit of a, an unknown, really. I, certainly the, the drum brake in the dry is far superior than a disc brake, I believe, from my own experience. But get a disc brake in the wet as well. Because it's, it's like quite, two pieces of wood. I mean, I, I guess, because I'm, I mean, I've had, you know, from previous podcasts, if people have listened to them, I've, you know, I've had lots of modern bikes, but not really done the classic bike thing until fairly recently. And I guess, and because I've been lucky enough to ride some of the bikes around the oily rag, the Nortons and stuff and the Triumphs, yeah. I guess one of the things, and I've had this conversation with my brother, is there's that, there's that, question of reliability and performance yeah. of not just the you know how, how fast it accelerates but also, or how, how quickly it stops and things exactly. and actually you know if these bikes are maintained well they're very reliable and they stop well and they accelerate well and they yeah. they feel like a modern bike right so it's that that perception i suppose that you know everybody has to buy the latest uh, edition the latest release of a it's bike rather a, than it's just rubbish isn't it's it it's just really? fashion and peer yeah. pressure really isn't it i mean at the end of the day if the manufacturer's building a bike or a car or a piece of furniture, it doesn't matter what it is, if it doesn't, if it's not fit for purpose, that company will go bust. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and as you just said, if you keep the machine in the same standard that it was meant to be, then it will never let you down. You know, it stands to reason. Yeah. So we got uh, the, the T500 was bought for another friend of mine uh, called Donut, <laughs> Rodney, Rodney Levers. Um, he has had English bikes and will only ride an English bike. So he's got, uh, to, he can only ride it with the gear change. Oh, on the wrong side. On the wrong yeah. side. Yeah. Uh, and the T500's claim to fame is you can actually have a longer shaft going through both sides of the gearbox. It comes out both to sides. To make it a British bike. So you can then put the gear lever on the other end. And that's how Barry Sheen used to ride, because he used to ride with English setup. Um, so we modified this bike for Donut. Donut came up to my workshop at home, and we got some friends to help us welding a shaft, and we made a brake that goes on the other side, and... And I must admit, it was really good when we'd finished it, because you can't buy the kit now, unfortunately. Okay. So I had to make the brake cable, and I found a company in Wales that would make a cable for you. So I had two made, just in case one snapped, yeah, which I've still got. Um, and then we, it was used, Donut used it over here, and then he, we, we were going to talk about these French bike trips, but Donut was one of our founder members of the, of the clan that used to go. And he rode the T500 in France. Um, but his true love is, is aerials, which he's got quite a few aerials. Okay. Um, and he said, well, he got to the end where he didn't really 
enjoy it as much. So uh, I was very fortunate enough to have first refusal because I always want, as I said before, I wanted GTs yeah. to make the, the full collection if I could. But when I saw the T500, I thought, yeah, I like that. And there was a friend, another friend of mine in France, a French friend, who had a 1973 T500, which was a K model, and it's got this beautiful blue, white and red. So it's almost like a tricolour colour. Um, and it's the most beautiful colour scheme of all the T500s, for, my, for me anyway. So I've painted it that colour, even though it's not the right colour for the bike. So I'm not a purist in terms of yeah. making sure that, you know, a rivet, oh, they call them rivet counters. They do, yes, yeah. Um, so I, there are certain bits on all my bikes which are not standard. So that's your level of patina then? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think it looks nice. And it, yeah. You know. It's your bike, eh? Yeah. So that, that's the T500. Uh, it's sitting here waiting for me to take the engine out because unfortunately that has a crank seal issue as well so I've got two bikes with crank seal issues um, which and, and Phil has one upstairs as well so we're going to do all of them together cool so that we can get all the bits and send the cranks off together uh, as you said making making my organising skills yeah, come to the fore yeah brilliant so that's the T500 and then I bought a GT550 wait which, how many you had that one for which is 1976 model um, I've had that you know, now I'm getting old, I can't remember what, how long I've had that now. My brother bought it originally into, into Guernsey. It's, an orig it's originally a North American model, um, which is great because it hasn't got Nicosil bores. And was it shipped across from America then? No, no, he bought it on eBay. Okay. Uh, I think it was from Scotland or up north somewhere. And it wasn't too, too bad. I mean, the paintwork, I mean, you've seen the yeah, bike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The paintwork, although it's it's not original paintwork, it, it's absolutely brilliant. It's got a couple of scratches and dents on it, but I've kept it as it is. Mm. <clears throat> so that's my, my level of patina. But when, when the bike is all clean, it does look, you know, stunning, I have to say. Um, and it is... It's got more grunt than the 380. It looks like the 380 because it's an air-cooled model. Um, slightly bigger, a lot heavier, but it's got the same grunt and performance as the 750. Has it? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. But, it, but it, it is more flickable. It's, it's yeah. the same. It's got the same tank, same handlebars as the 380. So when you're riding it, it feels like a 380 when you're just cruising along. But then when you open the throttle, my goodness, then it, it goes. Brilliant. Um, I actually hill climbed that one. <laughs> That's my first and only hill climb. And I thought, because again, a group of friends said, oh, we're going to do the classic hill climb. But we'll go in the classic class at the August Bank Holiday hill climb. I thought, well, I've always wanted to do a hill climb. The 550, I think, would be the best one to take yeah. up. But I'm not going to go mad because it's my pride and joy. So... Um, I'll, we should I'll explain. We should explain what the hell a hill climb means. So we have um, there's a number of events, sporting events, uh, because we don't have a racetrack or anything over here. Well, we, we've got a motocross track. We have hill climbs, which um, and sprints they call them. 
And also we have sand racing, which kind of makes up the majority, I suppose, of the motorsport that motorcycles are involved yeah. in, but cars as well. Absolutely. And, um, and we have a place called the Val de Terres, which is just outside St. Peterport, just, just as you leave St. Peterport, actually, which is a, a, a curvy um, road. I'm going to say it's 280 feet high at the highest point because I've cycled up it quite a few times <laughs> and I measured it. But, um, but a decent bike or car will take just... Over 35 the, seconds, 40 no, seconds, I think. The record quick down on motorcycles is uh, about 33, a low 33. Okay, so it's, yeah, so, so that's the kind of time it takes, but yeah. but there's lots of curves, lots of bends in that. So it's, it's all about, you know, maintaining grip yeah. and, and trying to get to the top. And there's only a very short straight as well, and it's and invariably, you know, where the accidents occur is when they get to the end of the straight. The end of the straight, so, yeah. which is grass banks everywhere. Yeah. But prior to that, coming out of the start line, you go through what they call a tunnel. It's called a tunnel because it's lined with granite walls. <laughs> well, it's carved out of granite. So you want to be keeping away from that because you're not going to bounce off that. But um, after my first run was in... It started to rain, would you believe it? <laughs> August bank holiday. So my first run just got used to where I was supposed to be in the road because you're obviously riding on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, and, you don't and get, on the pavements. We say and on the pavements, yeah. which you don't get chance to practice no. um, and my next run it was, I'm afraid I do have a competitive edge <laughs> as I found out so once that light went green the red mist descends and, and I forgot what was underneath me and just, just screened it. it and I got to the top and I thought I really enjoy doing this but I've got to tell myself this is, this is not the sort of thing I should be wringing its neck up here really and I, I, I did 40, 48 seconds, I think it was, which was fine, fine for me. Yeah. You know, it doesn't break any records by any chance. But I, I've got so much joy out of doing that. Not tempted to do it again? or is I, that? I would do it again, but I'd like to build something purpose-built for it. But in the, same, in the same vein, it has to be a classic. Yeah. And it has to be Suzuki. Yeah, brilliant. Because I was chatting to one of the guys down at the hill climb because they've got, um, uh, they all congregate at the bottom, you know, in preparation. I guess it's the equivalent of the pits, which is a big yeah. parking area before the start of the hill. And uh, and one guy's got a very beautiful, um, I think it's a 500cc BSA that I think he swapped with his dad a few times and he races out of the hill. And uh, and don't think old bikes are slow because the old bikes ain't slow. If they're tuned properly, yeah, they can go up absolutely. that hill pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's uh, but yeah, lovely having those conversations. And there's all, all sorts of exotica that comes over here for the hill climbs and for the sprints, which is uh, the sprints is along the seafront on the west coast of the island, um, and it's not straight. It's it's a it's. You know, and it goes uphill. Yeah, somebody <laughs> was saying that you think it's straight until you're doing 120 mile an hour and you yeah. realise there's quite a bend in it, which is interesting. And then we have sand racing, so when the tide is down, um, uh, people get old bangers and they, you know, and they, they race around the beach as they were doing this weekend. And, uh, and that's quite a spectacle as well. It's a bloody noisy spectacle, but it's certainly mm. a spectacle, which, which is good. And I think well, there's, there's yeah. two lots of sand racing. Yeah. You've, got, you've got the autocross, which you that's say right, are the old yeah. bangers, but then you've got the, the more purist matter. Um, down at Vazon, which is uh, purpose-built cars. Yeah. And we've got these little buggies with motorcycle engines in the back. Um, and also, in the old days, they used to have a, a really good following of sliders, what they call sliders. I don't know which about are, that. Which are, to all intents and purposes, a speedway bike. Oh, yes, of course. But with yeah. suspension. 
<laughs> Listen, we're digressing. <clears throat> we are. Because we're going to we're gonna need to do an episode on motorsport in Guernsey, I we suspect. Do, we but, will, uh, we'll I've come had, back to I've, that. I have had a go at doing that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so GT so be 550. So we got to the 550. Yeah. Um, so I bought that from my brother. Um, it, it was The engine wasn't too, too bad, but I decided I wanted to do it to my standard. So I stripped it down, sent the crank away, had that all done. And sandblasted all the casings and repainted it so it does look nice um yeah and i, I enjoy it and moving on to the kettle so, so, so the kettle there's, there's two questions i want to ask you about this one is yeah. your fascination for two-stroke engines let's talk about that a little bit but also the kettles because it's water cooled but essentially that's the big difference isn't it the, the is. 750 yeah. over the 550 so talk to me about strokers your, your fascination with two-stroke engines first um, I guess it's it's what I've grown up with, you know. The TS was a was a two stroke. Um, my two brothers have had four strokes. Okay. Um, Hondas and Yamahas and what have you. Um, but they've all had two strokes as well. They've had they had Yamaha RDLCs. Oh yeah, lovely. Yeah, and very collectible now. Eh? So. In fact, younger brother John's still got one. Which uh, two fifty or three fifty? Three fifty. Okay. Yeah, which is really really nice. Um, and they've done motocross, they've done sand racing. But two strokes, I guess because I've, um, I have grown up with it and it's, it's something different to what I was doing in my day job, which is four strokes, cars. Um, I mean, I've got a four stroke, I've got my BMW, but it, it's like it's got soul. Yeah, I was, I was going to say there's something, something okay. different. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. Different. A couple of I got a couple of two strokes, and uh, yeah. there's something pure about the motor. It's just like it's very simple, but it's it is very simple. It's more simple. It's got less moving parts than yeah. a four stroke. Um, but yeah, they've, they've just got a different character to them. Yeah, agreed. Um, mm. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. And, and of course, we've seen the death of two strokes, haven't we? I mean, it's it's because of the emissions and all yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah, outlawed in motorsport yeah. and all sorts. But apparently, there's a resurgence in interest in two strokes. I think there's a very recent one in one of the bike magazines where they, somebody's reinvented it with fuel injection and stuff like that. And I and I was looking on YouTube about some of the guys were saying, "Is it Formula One are playing around with two stroke technologies?" That's kind of interesting. So yeah. we'll have to wait and yeah. see how, whether that pans out. But it's not necessarily completely dead. But it's yeah, well, a lot of. Um, there's, there's some outboard engines, two strokes, with fuel injection as well. Okay. Outboard engines are for um, boats, just for those people yes. who don't know what an outboard yeah. engine is. But, uh... So the kettle, the kettle came to me um, back in in the nineties, I think it was. But uh, I had the three eighty. That was all I had at the time, and I went to. What did I go to? I went to Norfolk, to um, Cambridge, for the 50th anniversary of the Americans joining the war. Okay. You know, the um, 8th Air Force. Yeah. There was a, a big event at Duxford, and I was staying in a hotel in Cambridge, and the chef had a kettle. That's all chefs do, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this was a, a, a two-stroke kettle. And the car park, and I heard it start up, and I hadn't heard one for years and years and years. And I went down and had a look at it, and I thought, oh, do you know what, I'd love one of these. Really love one of these. 
I did have a break from motorcycling. Uh, although I've had the 380 all these years. Yeah. Um, when I left home, the family home, I left the 380 there in my little shed, as I was saying earlier. We all had a shed each. Um, but up behind it was um, quite a, a vociferous dwit. A dwit <laughs> and again, for a the dwit, overseas visitors, a, a, a Guernsey stream. Yeah, yeah <laughs> or a, a Guernsey river. stream. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, literally where people channel water here. Yes. Um, so they, it's land. normally for, for growing purposes, isn't yes. it? So to get yeah. water, irrigation, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, this, uh, this shed backed onto this dwit. And uh, I mean, you talk about global warming now, but back in the 80s, uh, we had some pretty big um, flooding down at mum and dad's house and uh, my 380 succumbed to it uh, okay. and uh, like I said it was left in the shed for years and when I went to it there was a water mark halfway up the engine you know, level with the spindles of the oh wheels God, okay. so obviously water had got in everywhere the exhausts were rotten um, and I went on holiday to Greece that was it Corfu I think it was and uh, I was looking to get around the island to, to see things and you could hire a car or a jeep and what have you but then I saw all these scooters lined up and I thought that'd be really neat so I hired a scooter which uh, after riding that for no more than a couple of hours I thought my god I'm, as soon as I get home I'm going to find my 380, dig it out, and I did that, and I, I restored it back. Um, but at that time, I was living in a house up, at, up in the north, uh, in the southern parishes, with a barn, a granite barn with a ground floor. Okay. Yeah. You know, the floor is made of compacted ground. Yeah. So you may as well just leave the bike out in the rain or <laughs> below the high tide mark. Yeah. Well, Phil was talking about this. About <clears> if you don't yeah. Get them in an appropriate story Absolutely. they just rolled, don't they? So. Yeah, so unfortunately after all my hard work um, it just again got loads of rust so I ended up restoring it for a second time when I bought my current house uh, the new garage built at the back and that was my first proper frame you know, last knot and bolt When did you do that? I did that in two, uh, 1999, 2000 was when I bought okay. the house so uh, that's when the 380 had its last Restorations. That's, that's getting over 22 years it ago. It is, yeah, yeah. So, um, going back to the 750, I decided I wanted one. And, uh, you know, we talked about Jackson's being my um, employer at that time. For those who don't know, but Jackson's are, have been a BMW dealer on Guernsey since uh, the 60s, I believe. Because Jackson's, be I mean, they, they've got most of the <coughs> dealerships of the premium cars, haven't they? But they have, yeah. They started off the original, was it? Or? No, no, they started off with Volvo okay. and Mercedes-Benz, which was very, very um, brave for Mercedes-Benz because the Jacksons started in, it was either 48, 49 or early 50s. So the Second World War was pretty yeah. you know, raw in people's memory. So for someone to take on a German manufacturer so close to the end of the war was a, was a pretty... Because the other thing that's kind of interesting punt. about Jackson's is that, um, so, you know, because the island's so small, yeah. you've got 
um, retailers that have multiple brands they look after. Whereas in yes. the UK, you know, these, you know, so Mercedes Benz is next to BMW, which is next to Volvo, yeah. but they're separate and, and separate showrooms. Whereas yeah. over here, they're all it's, in the same showroom. Which it has been shop. unique, and, and Jackson's has been um, the role model for what will probably be in the in the future the way of motor retailing in the UK. Okay, um, you know, big dealer groups. In, in fact, Jackson's have got. Uh, a massive site in the Isle of Man, which I was very privileged to be part of the building. All oh, right, okay. Um, all going up there when they when they opened it up, and helped the staff uh, get get to grips with some of the systems. Uh, but that's got exactly it's like a an American warehouse type oh, scenario right. where you've got all the franchises all in one showroom, just sitting under their name badges. But um, yeah, I'm digressing again. Yeah. So okay. yeah, as I say, BMW was uh, was one of the main main uh, franchises we held, and in those days we used to get uh, representatives coming over. So we'd have a technical engineer would come quite regularly, and I made good friends with with a chap there called Mike, um, who used to have a 750, and he, he loved bikes. He knew I had bikes, so that was our sort of uh, common denominator as it were so I was looking for a kettle and I joined the kettle club like anybody does that wants to buy one and I looked around and I found one I can't remember where I'd seen the advert but it was not far from where Mike lived um, in Farnborough so I asked him if he'd be willing to go and have a look at it to save me going across and wasting my time could he go and have a look and he rang me up and he said if you don't buy it, I'll buy it. <laughs> okay. He said, this is only two owners. The first owner was a, um, a dealer called Colburn and Hughes in London. Right. And this bike was registered by the owner so that his son could ride it and learn to ride. Um, so he learned to ride on a, on a GT750. Yeah, that was well, a baptism of fire, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. But he... Uh, he didn't get on with it, so it just stayed in the in the dealership. It didn't do many miles in it. Then the dealership went bust uh, or closed, and it was left in in this dealership for quite a few years. And then the guy that I bought it from found it, and it had done three thousand nine hundred miles on the clock. Okay. And it still had its original tires. It's barely run in, really. Yeah, it still had its original tires on it. And uh, so this guy bought it, and it was an, it was a bit of a sorry stake because it'd been left. So he he went through it to make it roadworthy. So it still had its original paintwork. He had the frame repainted, and the engine was stripped because the seals had gone, and it was all polished up nicely. And uh, I did the deal over the telephone, and then I took a van across to England to go and pick it up on a Sunday Sunday morning like I say it was in Farnborough and, but it was red this bike hmm. I've always wanted a blue one a Maui blue one but you know they say you know this synchronicity because it's things, still red right things should happen and they happen for a reason the same weekend on eBay <laughs> was a set of blue tank and paint and side panels but they were up in Nottingham, uh, not 
Northampton, right next to the uh, rugby club. And but the, the bid didn't finish till six o'clock Sunday night. And I was on the nine o'clock ferry back the next morning. <laughs> and I was driving a, this Mercedes van that was non-turbo, that did about 50 miles an hour, even going downhill. So um, I'd, after I'd finished picking the bike up and all the bits and pieces, I drove like a lunatic up to Northampton. Oh, and you got the bids. And because the bid, like I say, finished at yeah. six, but I had no way of bidding. So I got my brother in Guernsey to, to do the bidding for me, and I had a mo mobile phone, and I'm sat at, at the Northampton Rugby Club. And uh, I said, well, I can stay here till about seven or past seven, and then I'm going to have to make a run for it, because I'm not going to get back down to Portsmouth in time. So it got to six o'clock, and he said, bro, you've, you've won, you've won it. I said, brilliant. So I said, can you email the guy and tell him I'm at the rugby club, give him my number so he can explain to me where, where to go. And it was days before sat and having yeah. the rest of it. So uh, I waited and waited. It was about three quarters of an hour until eventually this guy rang me and he said, you are so lucky. He said, I've been away for a week. He said, I've just come back. For, we've been to Wales and my wife's just putting the dinner on so we've only just come in the door and I thought oh, I'll just have a look and see what it went for in the end he said no I've seen your message so I went to this guy's house and we went through his garage and there on the ramp is a brilliant absolutely beautiful 750 in blue so all the stuff's on the bike so I'm thinking to myself well, we've got to get all this stuff off this bike yeah and I've got to go. <laughs> and he said, uh, come, come through, come through to the kitchen. And I went through to the kitchen and there's another blue tank and a set of side panels sitting on the t kitchen table, all ready to go. I said, well, how come you've got two? He said, well, I've restored the one in the garage and I had all this lot painted. And he said, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. He says, but I wanted my bike to have original new old stock. Wow. And okay. he found a tank in Venezuela, still in its wrapper. So he had it flown all the way out from Venezuela to put a brand new, untouched Because the tank. weird thing is, with, with blokes who get... Blokes? I don't, know, I don't know many women that... We'll talk about that with Sophie, I think, in another podcast. But, but there's something about the obsession. There's something about, I want this to be... You know, yeah. the colour, or I want yeah. it to be new old stock, or I want it to be in a certain way, and then that obsessive hunting it down is a real challenge, isn't it? That yeah, people really enjoy. It's, so it's part of the part of the hunt, isn't it? Yeah, the thrill of the, the chase, as they say. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think you alluded to it before. I I must have OCD, but when when some of the things I need to do, I'm not happy until it's done, and then I'll be looking for something else to. Yeah, to so worry about, as yeah. it were. I think but, we're so, so that, that yeah. 750 arrived back in Guernsey, and I ran it around on the red paintwork, um, and it had its first French trip, which was nice. But there was a few things that went wrong with it. Um, the chap was actually a Honda, um, what they called those flat flat fours. I've forgotten the name of them. Uh, are they the um, oh, gold wings? You mean? Gold wings. Yeah. yeah, he was a gold wing nut. So he knew all about gold wings, but he didn't know anything about a kettle. 
he just bought this thing. So, I was, um, so I'm the third owner and it had 4,100 miles when I picked it up. It's now done, I think it's 16,000. Most of it in France? Most of it in France. Most of it in France, yeah. So um, I have had the tank repainted because it had faded and it had lots of scratches and all sorts, which I know to, uh, to Dr. Phil would be sacrilege, but the rest of the bike was like showroom condition. So Did you get it painted locally or did you send it away? Yes, yeah, I had it, had it done locally. Um, some of my uh, ex-customers from Jackson's, you know, my painting customers, they, they mixed the paint for me. And uh, a chap called uh, Russ at Bodyline painted it. Nice. Which it, it does look nice. It's not, it's not concourse, but it's it's what I like. But it's pretty damn nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been lucky to be involved with another uh, kettle over here, uh, and the gentleman that owns it is absolutely fastidious. It has to be right, and he had a tank <clears throat> painted over here. And he was trying to put the stripes on, and, and the guy that was doing it for him was struggling with the stripes. Uh, anyone that's done coach stripes yeah. will know it's it's, a, it's an art. And uh, eventually, something happened to the tank in the process, um, which the guy turned around and said, "Look, I, I'm not going to be happy with this. Can we can we get another tank?" And we managed to find one in Holland, um, and it looks like it was. It had not been touched. It was pretty spot on. It, and he wanted it perfect. Now, I'm not to that level, but um, his bike is without doubt the best one over here. And it's in blue as well. And uh, a little while a little while earlier this year, uh, once we'd got both bikes done, I, we went out for a ride together. So I had my red paintwork on, and he had his blue paintwork on. And it does. It, it's you, fantastic. Yeah, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So that's that's the seven fifty. Um, a GT one eight five is calling me because <laughs> I, I was trying. I was, I was in my head. I was thinking about the seven bikes. So you've got yeah. the BMW, which is the, the Odyssey, BMW, yeah. and then you've got a GT two fifty, GT three eighty, GT five hundred five fifty, GT seven fifty. So we're at five, uh, and the T five hundred. The T500, yeah, so that's six. So it's six. Six, okay. So, but you've got your eye on a, on a GT185. Yeah, yeah, I'd like a 185. Because I quite like the idea of a TS185. Am I allowed to say that? A TS185, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be quite cool. Because yeah. I always like, the, you know, you were saying about the TS100. A TS185 or a TS250. Yeah. A TS400, which they call the Apache, that's uh, an acquired taste. Um, you, you find people buy them and then they sell them pretty quickly guy down the road from me has got one silver one so all yeah. oh, right which and, and he doesn't really ride it so that i guess for yeah. the reasons you just it, it's a big outlined. single cylinder for yeah. uh, two stroke and to, to kick one of those over yeah because i had a, a dr 400 so mm -hmm. back in the day which is kind of similar genre and uh, and that was uh, yeah but that was that would be a four, four stroke, stroke yeah. yeah but uh, but still but at least with those you can use a decompressor to yeah once you learn how to use it because yeah. i didn't know how to use it until a, a good friend actually explained to me that i need to stop crying and actually <laughs> use the decompression lever but you learn yeah so but, uh, but yeah i think what we might do with this and i'll, I'll do some editing in between but uh, we're at Oh, over over 45 minutes now so we might split this into two sounds like a good so, plan 